traveling, so it's good to see people. And i um, just happy that you all uh, are here. Uh, again, as Lacey said earlier, um, if you are new and this is your first time, um, we'd love to meet you and talk to you. And uh, we, there's going to be people out in the lounge area on your way out if you want to stop by there and ask any questions you have or um, just grab a free gift and go. You could do that as well. Um, but we'd love to meet you. And if you want to know what's going on just throughout our community, there's a QR code on your seat um, that you can scan. It tells you about all the summer events that are going on um, and a great way to meet people. Um, we're in this series called Won't He Do It, which is uh, we're taking 16, 17 weeks to work through the book of Mark. And we're only going to get a part of the way through it. But uh, if you're not familiar uh, with the Bible, the Bible is broken up into an Old and New Testament. And uh, the pivot point in between those two is the life and teachings of Jesus. And so there are these Gospels. There are four of them. It's called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in these Gospels, uh, what they do is they detail out and they give you a portrait of what Jesus taught and um, how he lived his life and um, some interesting angles to um, kind of his 33 years or so um, here on this earth. And and so we're taking this long period of time to just talk through uh, the book of Mark. And so up to this point, this is week number seven, so I want to give you a quick little catch up here. Um, we got introduced to John the Baptist um, early on in the story. He's the cousin of Jesus, and uh, he's about to get beheaded here pretty soon. But um, he was part of kind of ushering in this uh, new ministry of Jesus. We get introduced to Jesus, and then um, what ends up starting to happen is Jesus starts doing these teachings. He starts getting these uh, people, these disciples that started to gather around him, and he calls the, in particular these 12, but then there were some other people that were really close to following him, and uh, he started having like these incredible teachings and people started getting like enamored with just how he would love on people and how he would talk about life and purpose and all these things and and then he would start doing these miracles and then um, in these miracles obviously people are going to be drawn to them if you saw someone who couldn't walk and they start walking you're probably going to pay attention to the person right like so that's what happened to Jesus and and then he starts saying these things like hey the kingdom of God is near and it was interesting. People were like, what do you mean by that? And he would start explaining that. And then eventually, um, as we looked at last week, his language started to switch a little bit. And he would start saying, hey, the kingdom of God is like. And this is what your life would look like if you want to be part of the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at another uh, story here uh, today that was actually a pivotal point um, in the life of the disciples and in Jesus' ministry because of, of what happens in it and what it says about uh, Jesus. And so um, before we get into it, though, um, how many of you guys have had a harrowing experience in water, like in the ocean or so, something where you realize, man, the water's a big deal? right? Like there's like you have those moments where you're just like, mm, this is more powerful. And, um, and so uh, about 20 years ago, Lacey and I were in Cancun and um, the, the waves were just, it was so rough in the ocean that day and the waves were like so big and we were just kind of out playing in the water. But all of a sudden like the undertow got really, really bad. And we, and we looked and we were like, it felt like a hundred yards from where we were supposed to be. And so we were just like, all right, well, we got to go back and we obviously couldn't because it was like so strong pushing against us and uh, she's like well let's just let it take us out to where it needs to and then where it stops then we'll just kind of come back in so we start doing that and it felt like like hours it was probably like seven minutes but like it felt like so long and we're just getting pummeled by the waves and so we finally get to a point where we can stand up so I stand up and I again there were so many ways I didn't realize that Lacey was probably just 
I don't know, just about 10 yards uh, or so from me. And um, so I finally like stand up and I'm like, all right, we're going to finally like walk to shore. And I look behind me and Lacey's just like, she's just going like this. She just came up out of a wave and she's just going like this with her hair. And I'm looking and there's this wave that, it, again, as time goes on, it feels like it's bigger. But like, it was definitely taller than her. Okay, a lot taller. And so it's about to crash. She, she was just about to say something to him. And I was just like, lace. And, and it's just like, wham. And she just like goes under and, and everything else. And like, and she comes back up. She's like, <gasps> like this. But I couldn't do anything because I couldn't like get to her. It was a whole ordeal. But anyway, in that moment, she would finally get to like safety. And in that moment, she was just like, wow. And I was like, I know. Like, we were like exhausted, right? But you felt like there's so much power in the ocean. Like there's so much like there. Um, even we were on a, a mission trip one time too, and you, where you could, uh, we were in the Bahamas, and you could, I know it sounds weird saying we're in a mission trip in the Bahamas, but like where there was, and um, where you would jump off this cliff, and you would, you would dive into like this deep blue hole, and, and it was like, they would call it like the abyss, and you would go down in there, and it was a really cool jump, but you would get in, and you just felt like, does it ever end? Like, there's just something there like, you, to explore and something like, but there's an unknown. We have technology and science and studying like um, the oceans and water and everything. So we know so much right now, but can you imagine in primitive societies where like they would come up on the ocean, can you imagine what they thought? Like, they had no idea there was anything on the other side. They had no idea like, what transpired. Like, they would maybe step in and, like, say they saw, like, a fairly large fish. They would be like, what? Like, what is the sea creature, right? So you can imagine what, like, water meant. Now, I tell you all of that because the story that we uh, are going to engage today, it is important to understand how people felt about water, okay? It's a really, really big deal. Um, if we don't understand how, like, ancient people felt about water, we won't understand the story that we're going to encounter with Jesus to its fullest extent. So I want to, we're going to nerd out for a little bit um, here, because I want to take you guys on a little bit of a journey just so you can understand, hey, when someone heard this story about Jesus in the storm, that's the one we're going to talk about today, um, I want you to understand what they would have gone to, kind of internally first. Like right now for us, we'd be like, well, I understand the storm would happen because the you know, Sea of Galilee is 700 you know, feet below um, sea level and the, the warm air there compared to the cold air coming off the mountains, that's why the storm happened. We could explain away certain things. They would have no idea, okay? And so I want us to really like take in what they would have been experiencing in that moment. The reality of the creation story in the Bible and ancient cosmology is the fact that all, like, so Babylonian, Mesopotamian, like Assyrian, Egyptian, all those, all those um, civilizations came before what we have in the Bible. And they all had creation stories. They all had flood stories. They all had uh, light and dark stories, why we're here, purpose, good and bad, all those things. They all had gods and everything. One common thread, there were multiple common threads, but one huge common thread was that water was chaos. And water was absolute power, and water represented like no human could tame water. Like that was just only a god could handle water, and that was it. And that was a common thread throughout all uh, civilization. So, but when you approach the Bible, when we get into Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice this, which I find like pretty interesting, that in the beginning, it just talks about that there was just this water, and that's it, in darkness. And that the waters were, were there. And, um, and it does talk about how, like, that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. That's going to be important kind of through line throughout a lot of Jesus' story. Um, but, but that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. But it was just, 
It was just there. Like the waters were there. And, um, and then it talks about how God spoke. And then it said that, like, let there be light. And the light pervaded uh, the darkness. But the waters were still there. And so there was this interesting thing that, that like, because waters just represented, like, chaos. Like, they didn't understand how waters came to be. And so uh, the, the belief was in, in Genesis chapter 1, like, we said, all right, so what does God do with the waters? Well, he speaks to the waters, and he does something to the waters. What it ends up looking like is this, that when God creates the land, he also does something else. He creates well, the Hebrew word is called the rakia, but it's just this dome. And you can understand this. Like if we were to walk outside right now and you, you look up in the sky, you would think of it as like a dome, like we're in this, this dome. And, um, and so the people back then would look like, like, all right, so the gods created this dome. But in this dome, here's what they also believed, that there were the waters all around it. And that's how ancient civilizations believed. Even this is what the Bible talks about. So it's the same. And, and that the waters were, were all around it. And so he creates this land. And, you know, we see, the, um, like, you know, the garden is in there and everything. And kind of in the creation story. And you've got the stars in the sky up here and everything. But they believed that the God was outside all of this. Here's what else we begin to see in places like Job and Psalms, um, 1 Samuel and some other things. Um, that the land was actually on these pillars, right? And now that I say this and you read it in scripture, you'll, you'll actually see it. But um, that this is what they believe, that the land was on these pillars that were over the waters and that, that like, this is how it was all like, kind of hung in together. And, and so they would look out into the horizon and they believed that the waters were the edge of everything. Because right, they didn't know that there was anything else possible. So this is what ancient civilizations would believe, including what we see um, in Genesis chapter 1. But here's what's interesting. In the creation story, God creates, and, and he brings in, and he kind of tells the waters what to do. And he tells the sky what to do, and he creates everything, and he creates order over the chaos. So what was once darkness, and the waters like ruled, and it was chaotic, it's like that God and only God can create order in the midst of the chaos. And in the presence of God, what ends up happening in creation is this new life happens, this new humanity, this new creation. It's, it's there, right there in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then what eventually happens is that Adam and Eve sin and they, they kind of go against God's world, word. And what, what transpires from there is a sense of like decreation, so to speak. And in this decreation, what ends up happening, we, we separate from God. But then God steps into the story with his grace and offers up this new life, new hope, new creation, new humanity. That is the beginning of the Bible. And that begins to be this through line throughout all of scripture. In Genesis chapter 6, it's interesting that we have, um, we have this flood, right? The, the waters come up. And in Genesis chapter 6, there's this interesting phrase that says that, that God remembers, he remembers Noah. Oops. He remembers Noah. And so what it talks about, if you read the story, it's a little bit out of order, and I won't get into that, but, but when you read the story, evil and like just, just kind of, everything got corrupted in creation, quote unquote, decreated, okay? Everything got corrupted. And so God's like, we've got to take care of this. Like the, the only way to, my justice and my love for all this and all of creation is like, we've got to take care of this. And so what he does is like, this, this flood is released. And when the flood happens, there's this moment where he's like, Oh, but there's Noah. So let me just work with Noah. And so what he tells Noah to do is, what does he tell him to build? An ark, right? And so he builds this ark. And, and what God does in uh, the midst of this is as he, what? He saves Noah, just like he saved Adam and Eve. 
And then after Adam and Eve, he created this new humanity, right? All these new people came. But then with Noah, in the midst of all this decreation and corruption and everything, what, what does he do? He, he calms the waters. God calms the waters and calms the flood. He saves Noah. And, and what ends up happening is there's a peace over everything. The chaos that once was is now subsided. God steps in with what? A new creation, a new hope, a new life, a new humanity. And in the midst of those storms, he, he steps in. But only God can handle the waters. Only God can speak into it. There's this other kind of cool thing. You, again, the, the creative stories and, and everything in the Bible, you always have to remember, it's also not only telling us how God created and what God does, but it's also speaking into all of the ancient beliefs. And so there's this really cool belief that an Assyrian ruler and Assyrian gods, that they would have these, um, they would have these bows. And these bows, um, and actually, I'll just draw Who cares? Um, these bows that they would have, right, with their arrow like this, that these gods would, ha- would have these bows. And, um, and they would pull these bows. They would say that the gods would like pull them both. And they would eliminate people and everything, or they could ca- cause chaos and everything. But if the gods, or if the, even the Syrian rulers, if they turned the bow over and released their arrow, it meant that there would be a sign of peace. All right, so think about this. Like, that's part of, like, kind of the, this, this Noah na- narrative and, and everything, too. So if you kind of look at that bow, and this is just an interesting tidbit. If I were to turn this bow, nope. Not gonna happen. Let's see if I can do it. If I were to turn this bow, forget it. If you turn the bow, it's not working. If you turn the bow upside down, right, it creates this rainbow effect. And so even with the rainbow that was supposed to, uh, to, to show like peace, like we, we understand like the rainbow is supposed to mean peace, that God's favor upon us and that God handles the storm and that God is with us in the midst of us. Like that's what a rainbow is supposed to mean for us um, who believe. But also it was speaking into, oh, you Assyrians, you, you've always thought that the upside down bow just meant peace. But I'm telling you, our God is the one that brings the peace. And so it's, a, it's this massive thing with, with even the rainbow. If we go into Exodus chapter 14 with the story of Moses and the Israelites, the Israelites were God's chosen people, and um, they are enslaved. So the, the way that God wanted humanity to work, this e- evil Pharaoh um, comes in, and he kind of decreates what God had created. He corrupts the system. And, and so in the midst of this, um, the people get enslaved, and God's people are enslaved. So God steps into this story, and he's like, I'm going to save, I'm going to redeem my people, and this is how I'm going to do it. And so he works with this guy named Moses, and watch what happens in this story. He says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the, look at that, um, over the sea, over the sea. And so he's saying, ah, here's the water again. So Moses is like praying over the sea, and he says, and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And so the Lord, now Moses is praying, but Moses can't control the sea. It's like, that's not, only God can control the sea, and only God can control the water. So what ends up happening is Moses is just praying, he's kind of stretching his hand out, and that God, the Lord, begins to work throughout the all night, and he starts like, he starts pushing the sea back, pushing the sea. Pushing it back, pushing it back. And he builds these walls. He said the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the, the sea on dry ground and, and uh, with a wall of water on their right and their left. And so they're able to escape through this. And the God who, who created this pathway to save his people, right? Save his people. When the enemies come, what does God do? He allows the waters to collapse on them. And so he saves the Israelites. Well, when he saves the Israelites, on the other side of that is this promised land that they're heading to 
which is this new life, this new humanity, this, this new creation that only God could provide because he saves his people. And so this story would have been built up, and that story from Exodus chapter 14 became part of the Passover story that they still tell today. Thousands of years later, they talk about this part of the story, how the God, the Lord of the sea, and they would say Yahweh, um, how Yahweh, the Lord of the sea, that how he parted the sea so that he would set his people free and save his people so we could experience new life, a new hope, this new creation, this new humanity. Look what it says in the Psalms. It says, the psalmists describe God and they say, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them, that you can calm the sea, that you can bring peace to the sea. Who can do that? Only God. Only God. Only the Lord. Psalm 106. Talking about the story uh, of the Red Sea again, he says, he rebuked. Who did rebuking? God rebukes the sea. And he dries it up and he led through the depths as though through uh, a desert. Another, um, another part of the story um, in the Old Testament, how many guys have heard about Jonah? Right? So if you haven't, it's okay. Jonah, you might have heard about the guy who was swallowed by a big fish, maybe. And um, in Jonah in that story, it, it's interesting because you're going to see this huge parallel between Jonah and Jesus in the midst of the story we're going to read today. Jonah... Um, God calls Jonah to go across to the Ninevites. And Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah's like, I don't like the Ninevites, and here's what I know about you, God, that you're going to forgive them, and you're going to show them grace. And I don't want to do that. And so I'm going to pout, and I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to argue with you and everything. And eventually what ends up happening is Jonah goes out in this boat, and the storms just start going crazy. Waves are whipping in and everything, and the sailors are freaking out. And they think to themselves, it's got to be this dude Jonah's fault. What's Jonah doing in the story? He's sleeping. So they go in, they wake up Jonah, and he comes up and he's like, y'all, just throw me overboard. It'll calm everything. And so they throw him overboard, and this big fish comes in, the sea monster comes in, and, and swallows up Jonah. Well, God has that fish um, because he controls the sea monsters, spit Jonah out onto the sea. He then goes to the Ninevites. The word of God, the grace comes to the Ninevites. The Ninevites have this big kind of moment with God, everything. So God steps into all of that, all right? Now, Jonah didn't want to do any of it. And so you're going to see this parallel even between Jonah and Jesus in this story because all the details are almost exactly the same. And so this is what they would have believed. So the, the, the listener of the story we're about to encounter, they would have had all of that plus some in their head. All of that plus some in their, they're like, they would have known about the God over the sea, about God controlling the way, rebuking the way, all those things. It would have, that would have been like ingrained in their heads what came to the storm. And so here's the main point for us today. We can find peace and perspective in the midst of any storm. That's what we're going to concentrate on today. So Mark chapter 4, four starting in verse 35. I love this story. It says, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And here's where the parallels start happening between Jonah's story and Jesus. Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, and just as, he, just as he was in the boat, there were also other boats. We're going to talk about that at the end. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Let me pause there for a second. One of the things about the way the Bible is written that is fascinating is that's a random like, fact, right? 
Like, why did they have to put he was sleeping on a cushion? Like, it doesn't even make any sense. What this shows is that there were eyewitness testimonies of this story. Ancient writers did not write like that. Of course, writers do now, but in ancient writings, they never wrote with like little details like that. So unless it was an eyewitness account. And so this is like showing like this is an eyewitness account that he was like literally asleep on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So he gets up and look at that. There's that word again. He rebukes the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So get this, these guys have been running with him for a little while now. And Jesus looks at them and says, do you still have no faith? Not like, where did your faith go? He's like, oh, so we're still here at this point. You have no faith. And they were, terri- they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So if you can kind of process with the disciples for a second. They've heard him teach, and he's like a really good teacher. And he's, re- he's so gracious and kind and everything. There's something different about him. And they've seen him do like miracles before. Like they've seen him do miracles. But this point is like this turning point. Because they're, they're saying like, ah, he just spoke to water, and the water listened. He just said to nature to do something, and nature was like, okay, this is different. Like, only God could do this stuff. And so for them, in that moment, it went from, oh, this dude teaches cool and does some, like, really neat miracles, and I wonder how that happens, to, hold on a second, there's something different about this guy, and now we're kind of freaked out about it. Because what he just did, we have, for generations, only believed God could do. And it changes everything. In the midst of this, it's like, all right, that happened to the disciples, what does this mean for me? So if we can kind of process what the disciples are going through and how they're feeling and all this stuff about the water and the seas and the chaos and all that stuff and what they believed about God, I think it helps us have peace and perspective in our own storms. And so here's what I want you to see though first. This is the Sea of Galilee, so you can kind of get a picture of, of what it would have been like there. Um, anywhere you go in the Sea of Galilee, you can kind of see to the other side. So I, I, I know sometimes we read a story, we think it's like an ocean, but this is actually what it looks like. Um, it's about eight miles wide, 12 miles long. And, uh, but here's what's interesting. It's about 700 feet below sea level. And you see all those mountains or the Golan Heights. And what ends up happening is the cold air of the Golan Heights and then the warm air over the water, sometimes those things intersect and violent storms happen. Like they just be like so violent. And the waves do whip and it's, and it's hard, okay? So I want you to get a picture of that as like kind of as you're like kind of encompassing this whole uh, story. But here's what is important first. When we talk about getting peace and perspective in the midst of our own storms, here's what I think is critical. We have to expect the unexpected. We have to expect the unexpected. Um, my baseball coach in college, he said something to me one day, and uh, he wasn't a great coach. He's a good guy, um, but he just, he just wasn't a good coach. Um, if he ends up watching this, I'm sorry, but it's whatever. It's his fault. He was a bad coach. Um, but like, when it happened, one day he walks up to me, and um, we're, we're about to play Virginia Tech, and um, any Tech fans? We whipped you all the time. But like, we, um, what... So we're about to play Tech, and, and he comes up, and, and he says, he goes, Wagler, you got it. You gotta, you're the leader of this team, and you've got to anticipate the unanticipatable. I said, Coach, I don't know what that means. And he was like, 
and he just walks away from me. And that's like, he did stuff like that all the time. And that was not like a skill. It was just like, that's who he was, right? So um, looking back, and, and again, he wasn't doing this for that reason. Like, looking back, though, here, here is like a reality. If you're aware that unexpected things are going to happen, like you can be prepared for the unexpected. You can't be. And so we start thinking about, again, like in this storm, those, those incredible fishermen that would have been on that boat, like they, they expected these unexpected storms. They got it. They were skilled in the midst of this. This was such a violent storm that it was overcoming even to them. And so we should resonate with that, right? We can, we can expect storms are going to come in our lives, but sometimes there are things that just go beyond what we're pre- prepared for. And, and that's okay. Like we, can, we, we should resonate with that. But what we begin to see is like, man, storms do happen in our lives. How many of you guys have had a plan for your life and it didn't end up that way? Yes, this is called life, right? Like um, most kids like thought they were going to be something like big, right? Every, myself and every one of my friends thought we were going to be a professional athlete. Like because we picked up a ball. And how hard could it be, right? Like, this is what you do. Like, we all think those things, or whatever it was that you thought about. And you, you might thought, I'm going to be an astronaut, and like, now you work in finance, right? Like, it's whatever. Like, sorry if you work in finance. But like, this is a reality. But like, like, life like, happens in those things. Like, me on this stage right now is very unexpected. It's very unexpected. This is not, was never part of my plan, ever. But yet, there's these unexpected things that begin to happen, and that includes life storms. Um, I'm now 44 years old, and so this week I was kind of chronicling out some things in my life, and, uh, and I was like, all right, how many like, significant like, storm storms? Not, not just like mild thunder and lightning, but like storms that like, shift your life in a big way, um, either positive or negative or something you got to deal with. And I've had 10 incredibly significant, like unexpected, there's no way you could have ever known these things were happening that completely shifted my life. And I started thinking like, man, that's, that's a big deal. But I just started thinking about all the counseling sessions I've had with people over the years. And it's like, this is everyone's life, whether you like it or not. Unexpected storms are coming your way. They just are. You can have a plan of how you think it's going to go, but I'm telling you, unexpected storms are coming your way. And knowing that reality, we should just expect it. We should expect that they're going to come. And then we've got to say, like, all right, then how do I gain peace? And how do I have perspective, like, in the midst of these storms that are beginning to happen? I think the first thing that we've got to begin to process is, is really this, um, and that's our posture in the midst of this. That our pos- posture in the midst of the storm determines how much peace and perspective we have coming out of it. So when we're in this posture, like when we're in it, what's our posture? Are we yelling and screaming at God? Are we filled with anger and bitterness and rage and doubt and all those things? Or, or is our posture different towards God? Is our posture in the midst of the storm like just so different that we're allowed to like, ah, there's peace in this. Like there's perspective that I didn't know I could have in the midst of all of this. Now, there's doubt, there's fear, there's anger in the midst of, of any of those things. There's questioning God. How many of you guys have questioned God before? You said, where are you? Or how could you let this happen to me, right? Yes. If, yes, right? Like, that just means you're human. <laughs> like, you are a person, all right? So, 
if you've done that, that is like, we've all done that. In particular, in the midst of the storm, you're like, why in the world, God, would you let me go through this? Why would you let this happen? So when the di- disciples come and they, they speak to Jesus and like, do you care if we drown? They didn't go to him. They didn't be like, hey, Jesus, like, you know, you've done these like cool miracles. And like, we know that you're like, you could do some different things. But like, can you like wake up and like just help? Like, that'd be cool. They didn't do that. They came to Jesus with fear, with doubt, and probably some anger. And they're like, why are you letting us drown? And so even in this moment, we can, we can sit there and be like, oh my gosh, how, how could the disciples do that? But we understand it. It's like, and you see this part of the story and you're like, ah, I've been there. I know what that's like. I would have been, I would have been the person yelling at Jesus as well. You know why? Because I've yelled at Jesus myself. And so we can see ourselves in this story and in this moment. And so we, we understand that that's there. Um, sometimes we tell people in the midst of their storms to just be like, hey, just pray. You'll be good. But like, we have to understand that there's a lot that goes on emotionally in the midst of our storms. And that's okay. Um, how many of you guys know the song, Kurt Franklin with Melodies from Heaven? Do you guys remember that song? Yeah. Such a wonderful song, right? Sometimes we... we that we expect other people that believe in God to just be like, the storms come, that we're just going to be like, yeah, just rain down on me. Right? It's just like a melody from heaven. Rain down. Like we, like, we, like, we think we're going to do that. But that's not reality. Reality is we get fear. We, we have fear. We have doubt. We have anger. I just want to tell you that's okay. But the question is, is like, where is our posture in the midst of all of those things? And where do we take it from there? That's what begins to shift, and that's how we have the right perspective, and then begin to experience peace. Here's how I was thinking about it this week. Sometimes we let the storm dictate what we think about God, rather than what we know about God dictating how we feel about the storm. So this storm starts coming in, and it feels like the waves are so much. And, and we're letting the storm dictate everything. And so our posture is like bowing down to the storm rather than having a posture that says, ah, I know who my God is in the midst of this storm. That my God controls the wind and the waves. That my God can give me the peace and the perspective. That, that my God can only do what my God can do. And I know my God saves. And so, so in the midst of this, it's hard. And I've got anger and I've got fear and I've got some doubts. And, and man, it's not easy. And it's, it's, it could hurt for a long time. But my posture is I'm not going to bow to the storm. I'm going to bow to my God. And through that, I'll have some peace and perspective. It begins to shift how we begin to start experiencing the storm that we may be in. Tim Keller, who's a pastor um, up in New York, and he's one of my favorites, um, he said it this way. He said, if you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. So if we've ever said, God, just stop this. That means that you inherently think he could. And if he's that powerful, then he's also got to be that kind of powerful for us to be able to be like, you know what, I'm going through this, but maybe there's just some stuff here I don't understand. And that's okay. Because I ultimately know how powerful my God is and I can have peace and perspective in the midst of this storm. In this thing that I did not expect... I know he's with me in it. I, I know that I can work through all of it. In verse 41, he, the, 
the disciples didn't see that part of Jesus because their posture wasn't correct. Their posture was doubting Jesus in that moment. Their posture was not fully embracing who Jesus was. And, and listen, they didn't fully know there, right? They just weren't in that place yet. And because they didn't have the right posture, they freaked out. They didn't have the right posture, so they doubted everything. They didn't have the right posture, so they couldn't possibly take in all that was happening in that moment to understand that they should have trusted Jesus. They just couldn't because their faith wasn't strong enough. Their faith, they didn't, like, they didn't understand fully who Jesus was quite yet. And so in the end, they became terrified. In the end, they just couldn't fully understand what was going on. Think about it this way, that the strength of our, fear, of our faith isn't determined by our willpower. The strength of our faith is determined by how much we trust Jesus. When I started thinking about um, all of those stories, all those storms that I was saying that in my own life, I'm like, man, whether it was how I handled it or how people around me handled it that I respected and, and learned from, it was like, it was never about their willpower. It was about they trusted Jesus so much in the midst of their storm that that's what brought peace, that that's what brought perspective, that that's what allowed to take a step back and be like, man, this sucks, and this hurts, and this is painful, and all those things, but, but there's something greater here. There's something bigger here. There's something I can trust in here that's way more powerful. And that is what shapes the faith. That is what shapes the strength of our faith. What I find fascinating about unexpected storms, um, I love sports and I love watching basketball and stuff like this. And, and you know, when um, there's this one, Kobe Bryant, I, I loved him. And um, there's this one uh, play where he hits a game-winning shot. He doesn't do anything else, but he just goes like this. He goes. Everyone else is freaking out, but there's this moment where he just goes. You know why he did that? He had um, every single day practiced, he literally talked about it, he goes, I knew the spot I wanted to get to. And he practiced thousands of times to get to that spot so that when he needed to be in that spot and when something was about to overwhelm the moment, he goes, I know how to get to that spot and I can make that shot. And so when it happened, he's like, I've done this thousands of times. And so a storm's gonna come in your life. You might have walked in here in one. And it might be the harshest one you've ever been in. But you know what? You need to get to the spot that you've practiced thousands of times to get to. If you've never practiced getting to the spot, when the moment comes, it's going to throw you all over the place. But when the storm comes, if, you, if you're preparing in the everyday, if you're preparing in the normal, if you're preparing in the times where you actually don't, you can freely get to the spot. It's like easy. If you just keep doing it, when the storm comes, you're like, I know how to get to the spot. I know how to get here. Why? Because I've done this before. I've done it before. And in that spot, you're like, ah, this is where the peace is. This is where my perspective is because I trust Jesus in this spot, in this moment, because I've done it thousands of times. And so the storm comes and it feels like it's overwhelming you, but you're like, but it's not going to ultimately because I've been in this spot before and I know how to get there. Here's the second thing and the last thing. Jesus saves. Can't ignore this part. That's why I was showing you guys in the beginning that whenever God steps in, 
He saves his people, and there's this new life, this new hope, this new humanity on the other side of it. Every time, from start to finish of the Bible. The chaos, the sea, the chaos, the waters, the raging storms, all this stuff. It's like, nope, there's new hope, there's new peace, there's new perspective, there's new life on the other side of this if you just allow to understand that Jesus saves. Jesus is with us in the storm. He's never outside of it. He is in it with us. I love this, um, the part in the story where, because I just can't, I, I don't know, I can't even fathom it, but they go and they wake up Jesus and he goes up to the top of the boat and the storm's raging and, and I don't know how he talked. He says, be still, right? I don't know how he talked to the storm. I don't know if he got up and this bellowing voice was just like, be still, like and it happened, right? I don't know if that's what he did or, or this is kind of how I think about it because it'd been more, like just more powerful. If, um, it, so even if you don't have kids, you understand this because you were a kid. Do you know how like a parent gives that look and goes like this, you be still. <laughs> That's how I wonder if Jesus did that. Like he's walked to the top of the boat and they're all freaking out and like they're expecting him to do this. And so he walked out to the seas and when he's just like, you be still. Like that. And that, that whisper is like the ultimate scream, right? And then, you know, the kids, you're just like. He spoke to the wind and the waves like a defiant child. And that child responded with a whimper and calmed down. This is why in that moment they're like, only God can do that. And this is why there was this big pivotal shift for these disciples because they're like, hold on a second. For thousands of years we believed only God could speak to the wind of the waves and Jesus just did this. So Jesus is the embodiment of God. Jesus is God. And so it's like this, this huge moment. And there's one little detail that I have glossed over every single time that I've read this story um, until this um, past couple weeks studying it. And that was the detail of the other boats. I've never thought about it, never cared about it, never... But I started thinking about the other boats in the story. Because when Jesus calmed the sea, he also saved the other boats. And here's what I started thinking about it. Those storms in my life that I was just telling you guys about before... Here's what else I know. Every time in those storms that the people around me, or whether it was me, maybe I handled it well. Sometimes I didn't always, but like, here's what I also know. When I didn't handle it well, um, there was no peace and perspective coming out of me. So the people around me, they didn't handle it well either. But when I had the right peace and perspective in the midst of a storm, here's what else I know. The people around me also did too. And so when Jesus saves in the midst of this, and when the peace and the perspective is there and the calmness and, and the right kind of standing we got in the midst of the storm, here's what, there's this residual saving that happens. There's this residual peace that begins to happen. The residual perspective that starts to happen. We start, and other people start saying this. Oh, Jesus does save. Have you, and you know how I know you probably know this to be true? You probably know someone who like faithfully loves Jesus who handled the storm in an unbelievable way. You couldn't believe how they handled it. And you thought to yourself, mm, there's something there. Something so deep, a peace that you can't find anywhere else that is truly transcendent because Jesus saves. Band, you guys can come back up. Later on, one of... Um, the disciples of Jesus, who was also his brother, 
James, he, he wrote, consider it pure joy, I'm paraphrasing, when you go through tough stuff and suffering and pain, consider it pure joy. Do you know why he could say that? Because they all would have talked about the storm. Oh, we're getting beaten right now. Do you remember the storm, though? Do you remember when Jesus talked to the wind and the waves? Do you remember that? And someone else would be like, yeah, but we're getting, we're literally getting beaten. People are getting crucified. Yeah, but do you remember the storm? Do you remember when he got, he, he said the wind and the waves, be still. Changed everything. It was a peace and perspective. It was a new life, a new hope, a, a new humanity, a, a new way of thinking. That's, this is different. And we have this ultimate hope. And, and I want you to see just a little thing at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21. I, I love this. It says, then I saw a new heaven and earth. This is our, this is our hope that we're talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus and, and what's to come. And he's going to make this, this all right. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was, look at that. No longer any what? In the beginning, in the end, God speaks to the waters. He's speaking to your sea, to your storm, to that unexpected thing that you did not know how to deal with. And this becomes our hope because we know that with Jesus, there is this new hope, this new life, this new humanity. Guess what? There'll be no sea at some point. So I don't know what you walked in with. But I do know this. He's okay with your doubt. He's okay with your fear. He's okay with your anger. He's okay with your questions. He's okay. But what he wants you to know and the posture he wants you to take is just trust me. I can say be still to your, your storm. I can give you a peace and perspective you'll never find anywhere else. So we're going to take a minute here. Just I want you all to process maybe what God's stirring in your heart. And we're going to sing one more song and then I'll... Um, come back up and close us in prayer. So let's just take a minute here.